Um, the scripture reading is Joshua 18, 1 through 10, 19, 49 through 51, and it can be found on page 164 in your pew Bibles. Lucky for both you and me, they've cut out the really difficult part, so we can just go forward with the easy pronounced words. Joshua 18, 1 through 10. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelites tribes who have not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that is the Lord, that the Lord, the God of your fathers has given you? Appoint three men from each tribe. I will send them out to make a survey of the land and write a description of it, according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You are to divide the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the house of Joseph in its territory on the north. After you have written descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me and I will cast lots for you in the presence of the Lord our God. The Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because the priestly service of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance on the east side of the Jordan. Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. As the men started on their way to map out the land, Joshua instructed them, Go and make a survey of the land and write a description of it. Then return to me, and I will cast lots for you here at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord. So the men left and went through the land. They wrote its description on the scroll town by town in seven parts and returned to Joshua in the camp of Sh at Shiloh. Joshua then cast lots for them in Shiloh in the presence of the Lord, and there he distributed the land to the Israelites according to their tribal divisions. Joshua 19, 49 through 51. When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua, son of Nun, an inheritance among them. As the Lord had commanded, they gave him the town he asked for, Timnath-serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built up the town and settled there. These are the territories that Eleazar, <laughs> the priest, Joshua, son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel assigned by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. May God bless the reading of his word. Morning, everyone. So as you were looking through your bulletins today, you may have noticed the familiar name, but maybe not in a place that you would expect it, which would be in the message section. Um, most of you know that uh, Jeff is a seminary student at Gordon-Conwell, and he's uh, grew up uh, at our church, and we're just very happy to uh, have him come and um, preach to us uh, during Chuck's uh, sabbatical. Uh, Pastor Chuck still is on sabbatical, even though he's here today, so don't talk to him about church business since he's on, since he's on sabbatical, but do say hi to him. Um, but I am um, very thankful that uh, Jeff agreed to preach to help share the preaching duties uh, while Chuck is on sabbatical. Uh, if I was in his place, I would have probably declined, uh, and I, even if I did 
say that I agreed to preach, I would have asked not to have to preach on the second half of Joshua. But um, Jeff is, you know, just a really uh, good sport in doing so, and, and just we appreciate his willingness to do so. He uh, has been meeting with Pastor Chuck and I over the past several months just to dig into this second half of Joshua to see, you know, really what is God trying to say to us and what truths can we bring forth from it. And I know just in getting to know Jeff and meeting with him that he does take the word of God very seriously and he just desires to, to speak and preach the word of God to people. So uh, Jeff, come and speak God's word to us. Thanks, Pastor Dave. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for still speaking to us today, Lord. Father, we thank you for the word that you have given us, Lord. Lord, we know that at times, Lord, we we come to texts like these, these tough texts. And yet you tell us, Lord, that that the scripture, that Lord, that this this word that you've given us is inspired, Lord, that it is good for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, Lord. So we pray now, Lord, that our hearts would be open to what you might have to say to us, Lord. We pray that, that you would speak to us through Joshua today, Lord, that your word would pierce our hearts. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, a couple years ago, my family and I used to go up to Sunday River in Maine for this annual ski trip with this church. Now, the ski trip happened in, during the winter, and so naturally we spend winter up there, or Christmas up there. Now, sometimes my parents would actually let me take my presents up there with me, so I didn't have to wait until several days after the trip ended, several days after Christmas ended, to be able to finally open up my presents but I could actually open them up on Christmas Day. Now, I remember there was this one year, uh, several months before the ski trip happened, where I went over to my friend's house. And I go over, and I saw that he had the new PlayStation. And when I say new, I mean, it was new to me at the time, but when I say new, I really mean original. The, the gray one, not the black one. You know, not as sleek as the ones today, but at that time, when I started playing it, and he had that game NFL Blitz 2000, you know, I fell in love with that game and that PlayStation. I knew at that moment that that was what I wanted for Christmas. And so I go home and I, and I beg and I plead with my parents, please can I have this PlayStation? Please can I have this game? You know, I need to update my original Nintendo system. You know, this, this PlayStation has the latest 3D graphics instead of 2D. And they say yes. You know, this is going to be my gift for Christmas. And so I wait, and I, and I wait some more, and finally the ski trip arrives. Except this time, we're going up to Maine, and I know that sitting there in my parents' luggage is, is this PlayStation and this game wrapped up. And so we arrive, and we ski, we drink hot chocolate, we, we wipe out, we have fun, and, and finally Christmas arrives. And, and when that clock struck 12, you know, I didn't wait one second to go and, and unwrap that present to hook up the PlayStation up to the, the TV and to pop the game in and start playing. And I played. And my parents finally kicked me off to bed and I woke up the next morning and I started playing some more. And I probably should have pl- uh, skied a lot more than I, than I did, but I had what I wanted right in front of me. 
I had what I wanted right in front of me. I no longer had to wait for what was promised to me, for what I desired, this gift, this PlayStation, this game. You know, in my mind back then, it would have been almost completely wrong to have waited any longer. You know, Joshua picks up on this idea of waiting in the passage we have before us today. So let's take a look at this passage. Turn with me to page 164 in your pew Bibles. You know, at first glance, when I read over these two chapters, chapters 18 and 19, you know, the first thing I noticed was, wow. This is a lot of land distribution. You know, how am I going to preach on this? You know, the majority of these two chapters is, is boundary descriptions and city lists. You know, what is Joshua trying to say not only to Israel, but he, what is he trying to say to us today through the whole of these two chapters? You know, how does these boundary descriptions and city lists, how do they fit into these two chapters? How do they fit into Joshua as a whole? You know, as we work through these two chapters, we'll see that there's a, a natural progression of events, a natural flow. You know, tied together by a common theme, the allotment of the land for these seven remaining tribes. We begin in chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, and it says, The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there are still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. There are still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. Seven tribes with no land. Now at this point, we're nearing the end of Joshua, and the majority of the tribes still haven't received their land inheritance. In the past few weeks, as we worked through this sermon series on Joshua, we've seen the land allotted for tribes like Judah, tribes like Ephraim and Manasseh. But there's still seven tribes left. What's taking so long? You know, verse 1 says that the, the country was brought under their control. It's about as good of a time as any to go and take possession of the land that was theirs. And so Joshua continues in verse 3 when he says, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? How long are you guys going to Put off taking what has been given to you, your gift, your land. You know, this land refers to the, the land west of the Jordan River, which God had given to them. Joshua is telling them to, to go and receive this gift, to go and take possession of this land, and that first requires them to go out and map the land, however. And so they divide it, and then they'll be able to figure out which tribe gets what portion. But they, they, they haven't even done that yet either. So Joshua goes on in verses 4 to 7 with more instructions. Appoint three men from each tribe. Send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it. We'll divide it accordingly into seven parts. We'll also cast lots in the presence of the Lord our God. So now seeing seven tribes without their, their land inheritance, Joshua's calling them to go and take possession of it. And in verses 8 to 10, you see that they do it. They begin to do it. As the men started on their way to map out the land, this is verse 8, you see these instructions from Joshua again. They begin to take the land. 
and now in verse 11 of chapter 18, all the way through to verse 48 of chapter 19, we have these land distribution lists. Now, I didn't have Emily read these for her sake, because she probably would never want to read scripture for me ever again. But the point is that this section is the list of boundaries and, and city descriptions that map out which tribe gets what. But it's more than that. It's the evidence that these tribes stopped waiting. They stopped putting things off and actually began taking possession of the land by dividing the land among the seven remaining tribes. And finally, we, we reach this last section, verses 49 to 51. We see the completion of the land allotment. It says, When they had finished dividing the land into its allotted portions, the Israelites gave Joshua son of Nun an inheritance among them, as the Lord had commanded. They gave him the town he asked for, Timnath-Serah, in the hill country of Ephraim. And he built up the town and settled there. These are the territories that Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel assigned by Lot at Shiloh in the presence of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And so they finished dividing the land. So they finished dividing the land. So these two chapters begin with seven tribes without any land, and they end with all the tribes having received their land inheritance. Seven tribes with no land. Joshua calls them to take the land. They begin to take the land. You see the evidence of their land inheritance, and they finish dividing the land. Now in Joshua 18 to 19, we see that, that God has given his people this land. He has promised it to them. Now Joshua is urging them on to get on with the job. They begin to do it. Now this land was important. It was it was God's will for them to have it. It was His divine will for them to have it. You know, at the beginning, chapter 18, verse 1, it, it mentions the tent of meeting. In 1951, it, it mentions the tent of meeting again. Now, if you might remember, the, the tent of meeting was a place where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was a place where God could meet His people, an avenue through which God could meet His people. It was the, the house of the Lord, is where God could dwell among his people. And we see here that he's placed it in the very first verse of the passage today, the very last verse of the passage today. Why? Because he's using it to emphasize the fact that everything from beginning to end, from the, the promise of the land to the endeavor to take possession of it, even to, down to the casting of the lots, to the division of the land. All this was according to God's will for them to have this land. This land was given to them. It was their gift. And verse 3 again says, How long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? God's giving them this land as a gift. But we see that there's still a responsibility on the part of Israel to take the land. And when Joshua uses this phrase, has given you, has given you in verse 3. He's using it to emphasize the point that this land was already given to them. That is to say that it was a complete act, not just a completed act. Let me say that again. It was a complete act, not just a completed act. What do I mean by that? Now, I mean to say that 
the action itself, the actual giving of the land was done. It was completed. It was finished. There was a beginning, middle, and end. Yet at the same time, the act of giving, the act was complete in that it was in its entirety. It was whole. Nothing more needed to be added to this. And we see that Israel was given this land, but they had not yet taken possession of it. But we see that for God, nothing more needed to be added on His part. God had given them this land, the the rights, the title, the deed to this land were already in the name of Israel. All that was required of Israel was to go out and grab it. To stop waiting, stop putting things off, to get on with their job, get on with their part of taking possession of this land. Now let's go back to that that story with the the PlayStation for a second. You know, in the same way that, that God had given Israel this land, you know, my parents had given me this PlayStation and this game. Now, whether or not that PlayStation, that game was hooked up to the TV, game in the system, game on the, uh, game on the TV screen, or whether it was still in the luggage, or whether it was at home waiting for me, whether I had opened it up on Christmas, or whether I was waiting until later, that PlayStation and that game was mine. It was already mine. My parents had already done their part. They had given it to me. Now what, required, what was required of me was to go out and grab it and receive that gift. Now we see this very similarly in, in chapter 18, that though Israel, at the beginning of chapter 18, they were waiting, they were putting off what was theirs. But by the end of chapter 19, they have, they have finished dividing the land. What does this mean for us today? What is, what is Joshua trying to say to us today? We have seen that what Joshua writes here in chapters 18 to 19 is a reminder to Israel to not put off and wait any longer to fulfill their part in the second out of three promises. It's the second being the land. Now, if you might remember that God gave these three promises to Abraham back in Genesis. Descendants, land, blessing to the nations. The promise of descendants had already been fulfilled, but and Joshua fits in here with a second promise of land. And we fit in with it in the third promise, the blessing to the nations. This is how the word of God comes to us today in the passage of Joshua chapter 18 to 19. And turn with me to Acts 1, 6 to 11 to see what Joshua is saying to us today. should be on page 780. Uh, and 70 of your pew Bibles. Now here, what we see is that the resurrection of Jesus had just taken place, and now Jesus is with his disciples. It says here in Acts 1, 6 and following, So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after He said this, He was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid Him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, 
Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, He will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. Now, One of the first things we notice here is in verse 8, which you might have picked up on. It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Does this sound familiar? I think it should to some of you. Because it's echoing the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. This was the command from Jesus to, to go and witness, to testify to what you have seen. That is the good news that Jesus Christ has come, He has died, He's risen again to save this people and this world from their sin. The end of the book, uh, the book of Luke says this, This is what is written, The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And here in Acts, Jesus is giving this command to His disciples to be His witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends into heaven, and verse 10 and 11 continue on saying, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Two men appeared in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here? This same Jesus, he's been taken from you, he's going to come back the same way you've seen him go. Now, I don't blame them for their reaction. I mean, if I was in their shoes, if you were in their shoes, I'm sure we would have been just as awestruck, you know, Staring up into the sky, eyes wide, mouth open, a little bit of drool, trying to figure out what just happened. But these angels appear here. Why? Because it doesn't just end with the ascension of Jesus. It doesn't just end with the ascension of Jesus. Jesus had just given the disciples this command to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And now the angels appear here to say, why do you stand here looking into the sky? You know, don't wait any longer. It's time to get on with your job. Go down from this mountain and witness to what you have just seen. Jesus had just given this command several verses earlier to be witnesses. Now you see that the disciples do it. In the very next verse, verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill, called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. Now, if you keep reading, you'll see that they eventually receive the Holy Spirit and, and then Pentecost happens when people from all different nations, all different places, they come. They receive the Holy Spirit. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Yet it still doesn't end there either. It still doesn't end there either. This command to witness to the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ, His death, His resurrection is as much binding on Jesus' disciples as it is on us today. This command to witness is as much binding on Jesus' disciples as it is on us today. We are still called to fulfill this third promise of being a blessing to the nations. Now, how do we become proactive in our outreach? Now, what does God give us? Now, God has made salvation possible through Jesus Christ. And at the same time, He makes available to us opportunities to witness to Him. 
Now, Charles Kinsley once said that, Have thy tools ready. God will find thee work. Have thy tools ready. God will find thee work. Now that makes me think, you know, are we ready? Are we as a church ready? Are we as individuals ready? Are we being proactively open to these opportunities that come our way? Can we see these opportunities when they arise? I mean, can you imagine how magnificent a sight it would be to see our church, our community, joining together, actively working together to fulfill this third promise of spreading the good news to, to the nations? You know, Josh shared earlier about, during the offering about this EM five-year focus. Let's bring up that PowerPoint again. I mean, it says, We want to see members in five years enter into vocational Christian ministry, relocate their jobs to serve as intentional witnesses in underserved areas of the world, commit their careers to Christ as students, and articulate how they are using what their vocation provides them to advance God's kingdom. It's four points. The fulfillment of this third promise comes in so many different shapes and forms, and I think that's the beauty of it. Because God has not called all of us to be missionaries. He hasn't called all of us to be pastors. But he, neither has He called all of us to be engineers or, or doctors or teachers, but He's placed each and every one of us in a particular vocation. And this is important, that, that each vocation is capable of being a channel to spread the gospel in one form or another. Now, I have to confess, I wasn't always proactively open to sharing the gospel or, or for these opportunities. And there's this one time where I was interning back in Shanghai for this business school in 2009. At the time, there's only one other intern there that was around my age. And so we go off to lunch one day and we do the casual routine of exchange. Oh, you know, hi, my name is Jeff. Oh, what school do you go to? What's your major? What, what do you like to do on the weekends? And so I say, I mentioned that I, I go to Gordon College, a small Christian liberal arts college. I mentioned what I do on the weekend, that part of it has to do with being involved with church. Now, that pretty much summed up everything I said about my faith and everything I said about Christianity. I didn't have too much to say. But in spite of what little I had to say, he picked up on my faith. Because he said to me, oh, so your faith is pretty important to you, right? Oh, so your faith is pretty important to you, right? You know, at that time, I guess I was conscious enough to realize that, you know, this is the perfect segue to, to talk about my faith and, and the gospel and, and the impact of the relationship with Jesus Christ and, and the impact it had on my life. But I got scared. You know, I didn't want to go down this path. I didn't want to have this conversation, even though there are hints that he might have wanted to. And so I say yes, and I change the subject. Completely do a 180. I didn't want to talk about it. I put it off. I said to God, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. Now, God's been fortunate enough to, to give me a few more opportunities down the road. Now, I'm working at a, start, a startup a, a couple of years later, and I find that my training buddy, Phil, I learned that he's Jewish. And he learns that I'm Christian. I learned that he's been to Israel. 
Yolanda, I've been to Israel. We're able to find some common ground. We're able to engage in dialogue and conversation. That doesn't necessarily mean explicit evangelism. It doesn't mean that I'm, I'm shoving Jesus Christ down his throat or sharing my testimony or doing the bridge illustration or whatever. But it means we're able to have a conversation about theology, about Christianity, about religion, something that's out of the ordinary, something that's not just, oh, did you see the latest movie or did you go to that, that party or, or whatever? And this time, I, did, I didn't want to wait. I didn't wait. I was still scared, but I didn't put off this opportunity. Now, some of you might say that, you know, some of us have vocations in which we can't have these types of conversations that easily, or maybe they're not even allowed. But that doesn't stop us from being able to spread the gospel. Now, there's a TV show a couple years ago, and I think in 2008 to 2009, it was called Eli Stone. It wasn't the greatest show, because... This is probably why I got canceled after two seasons, but I enjoyed it. Now, the show centers on this lawyer called Eli. And Eli is played by the actor who currently plays Sherlock Holmes on their show Elementary. Just to give you a face, not that it matters that much. But, so Eli, he's this lawyer for this successful firm run by his fiance's father. Like any successful firm, they had the high-profile clients. They had the big cases that bring in the revenue, the status, the wealth, the fame. And he's a su- successful lawyer as well. Until one day he starts seeing things. And he thinks he's going crazy until he realizes that he's getting visions from God. But these aren't just any visions. These visions lead him, unfortunately for him, to take on the cases that go against the entire culture of this firm. Cases that focus on the disenfranchised. The same people that God cares about in the Old and the New Testament. Cases that focus on the victims, those who don't have enough money to afford a good lawyer. Those whose cases are basically, they're going to lose. Cases that won't bring in the same status, fame, wealth to the firm. And so almost immediately he gets whiplash, backlash from almost the entire firm, including his fiance's father, which is really awkward. And there's this one scene in the very first episode where he's arguing with his fiance about taking on a particular case. Now, I read the conversation to you. It went something like this. It begins with her. She says, what's wrong with you, Eli? She sa- he says, well, maybe nothing's wrong with me. You know, maybe something's finally right. Now, what do you see when you look at that? And thinking that he's hallucinating again, she says, you do see a coffee table, right? Yeah, I also see, however, the bonus I got from working 800 hours on that grand industrial trial. My point is that I became a lawyer to change the world, and instead I changed my apartment. She comes back at him saying, come on, Eli, lawyers don't change the world. They help the people in this sue each other. And he ends with this. Well, what if I want the suing to be, I don't know, just a little more meaningful? And as the show progresses on, you begin to see that Eli starts to change his practice, to be more meaningful. And over time, you begin to see his character and his values change. And this spreads throughout the firm. His fiance's father also begins to change. 
he, there's a transformation of values, of morality, ultimately leading to a reshaping of the firm. As Eli and his fiancée father ends up starting a firm together, that's focused more on pro bono work. Now, I don't think many of us here today are modern-day prophet lawyers, but what Eli Stone achieved here is a good example of how we can use our vocations for God. If and only if we add in our faith in Jesus Christ. Because you see that Eli in the show wasn't necessarily a Christian, so it's not the most perfect example of what Joshua is saying here to us today. But you see, using our vocations for God, fulfilling our roles in this third promise of being a blessing to the nations, it can only occur if we tie it back to the gospel. It does not necessarily mean explicit evangelism at first, but if we're like Eli making changes in our work environment or using what our env- work environment provides to to usher in God's kingdom, if we're living out who we are in Christ as a citizen of his heavenly kingdom, and people approached us about it, we would be able to point them back to the gospel for why we do what we do and live how we live. Our lives and the places and the vocations in which God has placed us must be rooted in the word of God and in Christ. This is where we can join together as a church as we work toward this five-year EM focus. We see here in Joshua 18 to 19 that just as Joshua asked, how long are you going to wait before you fulfill the second promise of taking the land? We must also be proactive in our outreach in fulfilling the third promise of being a blessing to the nations and spreading the gospel in whatever shape and avenue that may look like. I want to make one last brief point. You know, I didn't get to explain too much about what the good news is today, mainly because that wasn't the main point of the text. But some of you may be here today who aren't quite sure what Christianity is all about, what this good news or this gospel is all about. I mean, you're sitting there and I'm talking to you about sharing this message and you have no idea what I'm talking about. A friend may have brought you, or you heard of this church and just decided to visit. But in any case, if you, if you still have questions, if you're still left wondering you know, what this good news is about, what's so special about Jesus Christ, how does this all tie in together, what is Christianity? You know, please don't hesitate to, to ask your friend who brought you. you know, I'm, I'm volunteering your friend on your behalf. Or even ask the deacons or or elders or the pastoral staff here about this good news, about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you for being faithful and true. 